Symbiotes, Scarlet Spiders and Secret Wars or Welcome to Marvel vs. Marvel It's a podcast where a comedian who has never read a Marvel comic book before in his life Watches a Marvel movie or TV show And then quizzes someone who is a Marvel expert This one was taught to read with Marvel comics It's the yin and the yang of the Marvel fandom experience Hello and welcome to the show My name's Rob Holden I am the Marvel expert in the chair um, I was taught to read Marvel comics I'm a comedian, I'm a writer And all those things wrapped up into one And there's another man who is on this show with me It's his journey through the Marvel universe It's a very ignorant journey for a very ignorant boy It's Mr. Will Preston There is a man, a certain man who Whose ignorance <laughs> and petulance is known across the land You know his name It's Willie P <laughs> Sorry, I went a bit Citizen Kane there. Or that bit on The Simpsons, which takes off Citizen Kane, where they sing about There you go. You've never seen Citizen Kane, have you? I have. seen the Simpsons. No, you haven't. No, I have. You've seen The Simpsons sketches. No, You've read about it on Wikipedia. No, I watched. You've seen stills on Imgur. I watched Citizen Kane and Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo in one day, and I went to bed very depressed. (laughs) Coming up on the show! Behind the scenes on Spider-Man... The animated series and the making of the original Spider-Verse. Did this cartoon we're watching today inspire the Spider-Verse or was it ripped off? We'll go behind the page on Ben Riley, the Scarlet Spider, the replacement Spider-Man, the clone. We'll explore the Hobgoblin, the Beyonder, Madam Web and so much more. It is all in this jam-packed spidery episode for you. As we know, Across the Spider-Verse is uh, hitting cinemas across the world. And we decided, Will, that we're going to go back and look at the original Spider-Verse. What an exciting project for this uh, podcast. Oh, I'm absolutely excited for this one. We'll get into it in the mind of uh, when we talk to me about my muggly mind. But, man, I'm very excited to be dealing with this. Yeah, it's really, it really is a really special way. I've not seen the uh, the new movie just yet. I'm excited to go and take my godsons to go and see that. But this felt like a really special way of looking at the history of the Spider-Verse and getting all that wonderful, juicy, juicy, mouth-watering context that you know we like to drop on you here on MVM. And speaking of exciting, mm-hmm. we the next episode, Will, which we're going to, I mean, announcement at the end of the show, Will has, enough, has never been this excited about anything we've ever done ever. Mm-hmm. He is geared up. He's at 11 right now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you may want to make sure you stick around uh, to hear us uh, unveil that one. Hey, where were we the other day, Will Preston? I came to your your land down south. Yes, the, the, that place you hate. You came mm. down to our nation's capital, London. The broken uh, tube system. Hey, I, I I I I have no problem with it apart from when it's like seven minutes late. Uh, I I, uh, I I have no problem. With it. I met you at Euston. We had a nice walk in the sun to Euston Square Station. That's a well, let's just walk. tell them what we were doing rather than just recount our trip. No, <laughs> were, no, we'll uh, tell filming, the whole thing. <laughs> we were filming for the Radio Times, a very prestigious uh, magazine, and then now kind of website and online content kind of creators um, or some YouTube channels and stuff like that. The Radio Times, big in the UK, mm. and they needed Marvel experts, and they knew who to call. They shone that bat signal, very confusingly, uh, <laughs> and they summoned the Marvel versus Marvel boys, and off we went to their headquarters in 
in uh, Hammersmith uh, to film a really cool uh, video show that they're doing, a really cool event. It was kind of a debate talk yeah. thing with a studio audience, and um, yeah, it was fun to do, right? Yeah, I had a lot of fun. I mean, you say backsinker, it was basically talking about who's going to be better in the next few years, Marvel or DC in the cinema, mm, and we yeah. had so much to talk about. It was really entertaining talk. Uh, it was it was just it was just nice to sit in a studio like that and not have notes in front of me and just go like, "Hey, Will, what do you think of this?" Like, uh, "Hey, I, I I like saying my opinions rather than going through a script." Research days and research days yeah, of research. It's, yeah. it's it's really cool to be uh, recognised and acknowledged by uh, kind of major media industry people. Absolutely, that's kind of cool. That's fun, and we'll let you know when uh, when that's out and available. Um, you know, I don't know if they're going to do a, a podcast with it, but certainly the video will be. I imagine. All over the shop on their uh, on their YouTube and everything like that when it comes out. Oh yeah! Um, so we'll let you know. Mm. The yin and the yang of the Marvel experience is what we're all about here on Marvel vs. Marvel. I represent those people that have been reading comic books for a long, long time and thus come to projects with kind of like a preconceived set of notions and ideals and ideas in their head. But you know who's got no ideas in their head? It's Will Preston. He's the opposite <laughs> side of the coin. Um, yeah. And he comes with a muggly mind with no kind of like uh, background of these characters having never read a Marvel comic before. And that's why he is invaluable to this podcast and uh, this kind of thing that we're trying to do the grand marvel experiment so will so it's 1998 um in the in the uh, in the kind of in the 90s were you watching this particular spider-man animated series that we're talking about today no but everyone else did and it was advertised a lot and i don't know why i didn't watch it and i'm kicking so you really you're really aware of it because it was pretty oh, big. God. Oh, God, you're absolutely aware of it. It used to get advertised on Fox Kids all the time back when I had cable. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was, it was, there was no escaping it. This, this was a big thing. But for some reason, I was like, eh, not for me. And um, were you not I, like I an action figure Batman. toys guy? Because I had a huge amount of the toys when I was a kid. Um, and these toys were absolutely everywhere. I, well, I mean, I was very toy centric. So, you know, that's why I was keyed into it. Toy centric. No, uh, we were talking about 1998. Willie P. This 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 Willie P. Had an well, no, any time, any time in the 90s because it was started kind of like in the early 90s, didn't it? 90, oh yeah, yeah. Well, I, so I I had a Batman action figure. I don't know. I didn't really do action figures too much. I remember having an Action Man, and that was it. And then maybe some other. Oh little wow, things. really? But yeah, yeah, yeah. But the thing is, though, I was moving away from toys at a very early age. Uh, moving more towards video games, but at the same time, that the only toys I really had, love playing were like Lego and Lego Technic and making making stuff, you know. Oh, I clung to action figures way longer than was uh, deemed normal for a, a young lad who should be out there riding a bike and punching people. Well, I'm glad uh, you're I, like, I just want to go home and play with my toys. Yeah, um, your collectibles. So you were aware of it? You saw the the ads on? Oh no, not I, not, I, I never collected nothing in my life. I'm a yeah. consumer yeah. Uh, and a ruiner of products. So you're aware of all the adverts and stuff going on, but it's not. You're not tuning into it the same way you are Batman the animated series, and in the same way you are the X Men series. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think the X Men series by that point I wasn't really watching that because I wasn't really on. If that makes sense. Uh, 
to be honest. But you watched it in the nine. I'm not talking for the third time. I'm not talking just about 1998. I'm saying in the 90s. Oh yeah, you were watching X Men. You were watching Batman. But the interesting thing here is you're not watching the Spider Man series for some reason. Yeah, just I don't know why. I can't think. Maybe I just don't think I ever was a big Spider Man fan. We weren't. Uh, dealt, we weren't exposed to it as much as, say, Batman back then, Batman, mm. and, and indeed the X-Men cartoon. But, I, I, I mean, I went for years not knowing about it. Then I came a bit interested when Crack.com did an interesting article on the weird thing, was it dark moments in children's TV shows? And one of them was the ending to this was quite, in a way, dark. And I remember going, ooh... That might be interesting to watch one day. Oh, so you, you, you've you've kind of heard of it before watching it for this show? Yeah, I you know I heard about that in that regards, but it's just I think it's one of those things where it's like the the the, the villain, the rogues gallery, and and uh, everything for Spider Man was so big and so overwhelming that I was just like, oh, I don't know where to start with this. Batman, simple. Mm. They're all gangsters. <laughs> They're all gangsters, basically. <laughs> and X Men yeah, is just I- a bunch of bunch of lads with superpowers. See, I always think with 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 Spider Man, they his his rogues are so similar to Batman's in that they are all um, there's a whole bunch of lunatics uh, from crazed um, science experiments, uh, and then people that want to rob banks and have got incredible equipment or powers, mm. and that's just kind of feels very similar to Batman to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, or, or, albeit that Spideys are a lot more garish and costumed and colourful. Yeah, um, but. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. Interesting that this series, which is such a a, a touchstone for so many people um, culturally at the at the time, um, passed you by. I have really strong memories of. Um, I, I forget where it was. It must have been on on one of the, yeah one of the cable channels or something. Um, I would walk home from uh, high school with my good friend, my best friend Matt, who um, whose dad his parents are separated in his dad's house was um, kind of like he had a key to it and we were left completely like alone <laughs> to reign free. And maybe some of the teenagers would have been doing some dangerous stuff, but we just went to his dad's house and we ate loads of snacks, which I couldn't have. I didn't have, I didn't have fun snacks at home, so that was cool. <laughs> there was crisps and chocolate and yep. soda pop. Um, we all had a friend and- like that. And then on goes the cable box, and we got to watch X Men and Sp- my predominant memories are Spider Man though. Um, mm. That there's all these um, Spider Man cartoons going back and forth, and it's odd because at the, at the same time, like I'm, I'm at that age where it's kind of you try you're probably trying to age out of it and project that you're older, but you've got the comfort of a good friend who isn't going to like make fun of you for yeah. like it. And, and if they like it at the same time. Yeah, so I, it's a it's a strange one, um, a strange one. My memories of that because, uh, and they must have been repeats. I must have already seen, or perhaps I, 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 have, a, I have a feeling that the, the uh, terrestrial channels had only shown a few series of Spider Man before losing it uh, in the bidding war to cable. We've taken a look at Spider Man, the animated series, once in the uh, far flung past of this podcast. But I'm going to uh, hand the reins over now to Will Preston to become Mr. Hollywood. Dive through the uh, the rumours, the gossip, the history and the trash cans of Hollywood to uh, bring us the straight dope, as the kids say. Um, they still say that. They definitely do. The straight dope on Spider-Man the Animated Series. From a production standpoint, Will, what have you got for us? Mr. Hollywood! I need entrance music and fireworks. Right. So as we know, Spider-Man, the animated series, ran from November 19th, 1994 to January 31st, 1998. 
airing on the Fox Kids Network. The series was five seasons long and included a huge number of Marvel characters outside of the regular Spider-Man stories, including the X-Men, The Punisher, Blade, Doctor Strange, Daredevil, Iron Man, Captain America, and the Fantastic Four. For a lot of these characters, that's like the first ever on-screen appearance. Yeah, I mean, the, the <laughs> I don't think anyone... Blade, ever, certainly. I don't um, think anyone ever did a cartoon about The Punisher. That would have been hilarious. His movie was out before this cartoon, though. Were we talking about the 1989... Um, the Dolph Lundgren Dolph film, yeah. which, yeah, apparently not written, has barely anything to do with the comics, <laughs> I've heard. Yeah, but it's still, it's called The Punisher, it's yeah. an adaptation... Doctor Strange didn't get any screen time. Well, actually, no, he did. What am I on about? We know he did. We know he did. Because we, we... <laughs> we, we watched that 1970s movie. Yeah. Um, and, of course, some of them may have cropped up in the in the very early 1960s um, Marvel superheroes cartoons that yes. were um, almost straight adaptions of the comic books. Pretty much, um, yeah. So there might have been some there. And, of course, Spider-Man had a long-running... A couple of a couple of cartoon series which might have had guest stars in the past, but it really felt like this. I mean, it, I suppose it's because for, for me, this cartoon had a very f- like heavy toy um, connection. Yeah, and so Toy Biz were pushing out all these um, characters. Like as a as a kid growing up, you could it was really hard to get hold of a. Punisher figure or a Blade figure or a Doctor Strange figure. Mm. You get all the Spider-Mans you wanted, but the others were this kind of the, the C to Z list characters you couldn't get hold of. And then this cartoon came out and in fact I distinctly remember my Doctor Strange figure <laughs> was from the Spider Wars line, which I think is the last I looked it up. Ah. It's the last um it's the last section of toys that they released with this cartoon series. Um and he had a big thick rubber cloak of levitation that was longer than his body and curved so it actually when you put the figure down it supported his weight and he levitated brilliant the 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 cloak touched the ground and it just held him off like a stand wonderful that was and he had his hands in like a conjuring position as well loads of articulation great figure Uh, that was always the problem with those action figures making them stand on their own was just 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 a nightmare at times sometimes it's bad yeah but Standing for, I mean, that's that's for people that want to display things. I wanted them to fight and be in my stories. I wasn't should. that, I wasn't that much fond of putting them on a shelf so they could stand up. Um, they were too busy fighting elaborate wars. Yeah, elaborate wars in the mind. So, elaborate wars would be a great uh, sequel to the Secret Wars. <laughs> <laughs> so, while Marvel, Marvel presents the elaborate wars. <laughs> I think that sounds like a spoof or a bit of satire telling how how complex the stories are and how the crossovers are just getting mad. The elaborate wars. I love it. Mm-hmm. So, while Marvel's X-Men animated series was being produced by Saban Entertainment, uh, Spider-Man was produced by the newly formed Marvel Films Animation. It was the only series that in-house studio produced. The show was an instant hit leading to a huge amount of merchandise, toys, and video games. For many years, the series was the second longest-running Marvel show created after X-Men, as well as the longest-running series based on Spider-Man, until Ultimate Spider-Man surpassed its record in 2015. 
1994, John Semper Jr. began working on Spider-Man, the animated series, as a story editor. However, upon starting his job, he learned that no writing had been done for him to edit. <laughs> Semper then took it upon himself to write the script for every episode except for five. Once in a secure position, John Semper made his first demand of the combined Fox-Marvel forces by making them buy him a complete collection of Spider-Man comics. Sempner got his comics, and as, a, and as 1993 moved into 1994, the story editor began researching more than 30 years of Spider-Man lore, building the foundation of the series. That's like a huge undertaking. Yeah. Like, that Marvel hadn't dig begun digitising, because there was no ability to do so, I guess, <laughs> their, their comics um, in a way that a new writer could request this, that, the other. I do remember... I forget when, but in the 2000s or so, I saw the advert, which the adverts for them in Wizard Magazine, uh, CD-ROM collections of every Spider-Man comic on a CD-ROM. Hmm. You'd have a series of the, of the, of the discs, um, and they had digitized every single Spider-Man, uh, amazing Spider-Man copy, um, which I'm sure would have been kind of, um, made all the research that much easier when they did projects like this going forward. But in the 90s, you've got someone's got to go out and buy trades and collections of every single collection they've ever done. That's that's mad. I mean, I think the undertaking of just taking that and actually adapting it for TV, for a children's cartoon, is just... Well, yeah, but he's not adapting every single story. It's that he needs to read everything. Okay, okay. Well, I, I got the idea that they were taking a lot of cues from the comics. Uh, to, they know, are, of course know. they are, but they're not going to adapt every story. Like with any any adaption process like a movie mm. you need to be very well read but you also need to have the creative eye to be able to cherry pick and work out what the key aspects of the characters are and what the best stories are and how you how if you're going to change them how they'll be um interwoven into kind of a modern setting oh absolutely according to john sempner jr he was forbidden from doing season-long story arcs but did it anyway and almost got fired for it However, he was allowed to get away with it because Marvel was dealing with their financial problems that we, of course, we all know about from previous episodes. Sempner has stated that he is proud that he did season-long arcs because it forced the viewers to pay attention. Sempner also said that he is proud of the fact that he made enemies over this decision. If it, if it is your first time listening, um, Marvel where it was going bankrupt at this time. In fact, they had already, um, depending on when it was, Marvel's financial situations in the mid-90s were terrible. I believe they declared bankruptcy in 1996. Mm. Um, and then they spent a couple of years uh, in, in that kind of weird bankruptcy state, waiting for a buyer to come and save them. Mad, mad times. Marvel Comics had no creative control on the TV series because at the time, uh, Marvel was in a tough time and close to bankruptcy, as we know. John Sempner uh, has also said that the creative state of Spider-Man was in tatters at the time. Convoluted stories involved clones of Spider-Man, clones of his parents, and several attempts to make Spidey a dark and violent character. For these reasons, the current Marvel Comics brain trust was shut out of the cartoon series. <laughs> I remember it's interview he gave where he talked about that, and uh, yeah, if I had if I had read the classic stories and gone, I really want to adapt this, and then read the '90s stuff, I would have said these people need to be nowhere near this story. <laughs> the Spider Wars episodes that we're of course dealing with today were the first time multiple Spider Men from different realities had ever teamed up together, and would seem to be the inspiration for the Spider Verse that would come many years later. But this is a point of contention for all those involved. 
Really? A dispute amongst creative people in a business? How bizarre, Will. How bizarre. Never heard of anything like this before or indeed after. The concept of a Spider-Verse would not take root... Would later, sorry, would later take root in the 2010 video game Spider-Man Shattered Dimensions. Much like the Spider-Wars arc, it featured a group of Spider-Men working together in different realities in order to stop Mysterio and other villains from getting their hands on the Tablet of Order and Chaos. The video game was written by Dan Slott and Mark Hoffmeyer. I um, was not someone that bought... It came out on the, three, the Xbox 360. Mm. Um, I was not someone that bought every superhero game. But I saw this one and thought, oh, that's really great. That, that, that concept, I get to play as Spider-Man 2099, Mikel mm. O'Hara, and I get to play as um, Spider-Man Noir was in it. Um, and regular Spider-Man, I, that was a draw for me. That drew me in. I, I put that fat cheddar on the table and went home with a brand new Spider-Man game. Um, I was really interested by that. Yeah, I remember seeing that advertised. It looked it looked interesting, but I think my uh, my interest in Spider-Man was from two thousand and two to maybe two thousand four, two thousand and five. I didn't even bother seeing Spider-Man two, but I got the game and I loved fickle. The- Spider-Man, Will Preston. Spider-Man 2 game's fantastic, and the recent uh, PlayStation uh, Spider-Man games definitely were influenced by it. It's just ra- swinging around New York, you know, free... Oh, it's, it was lovely, but I'm sure I'm sure Shattered Dimensions is brilliant as well. In 2014, Dan Slott would again use the concept of multi multiple reality Spider-Man when he created the Spider-Verse storyline in Marvel Comics. In 2019, Dan Slott explained that his inspiration for the Spider-Verse comic book story was the Spider-Man video game Shattered Dimensions, which he wrote the story for. When someone asked Slott about whether Spider-Wars was an influence, he replied, Not really. It was off my radar till people brought it up after Spider-Verse was over. We had tentative plans to evolve them if there were a sequel, but it fell to the side. But, John Sempner refused refutes this and lays claim be it to being the writer responsible for creating the Spider-Verse. He said, I do mention that I create the Spider-Verse whenever the subject comes up, mostly because I enjoy needling Sony and Marvel, and I hope word will get back to them that I'm mildly pissed at not even being thanked at the end of their first film. I know what I originated, and how much of it I saw in that movie, and my stance is unchanged. The whole narrative underpinning of that film that a group of Spider-Men from different realities had to band together to prevent a rift in dimensions created by the Kingpin from destroying all of reality. Yeah, I thought that up. I mean, it's it's damning, right? It's it, it, I mean, when you bring in Kingpin uh, as the guy who's actually responsible for doing this, it's like, wait a second, yeah, he's absolutely right. It was his story. And it's a thing that's going to destroy all reality. Mm. I... I, 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 I... I'm a big fan of Dan Slott's work. Mm. I really am. Uh, I, I, I love his writing on Spider-Man. Um, I have to say, though, I don't know. It does feel ever so slightly like I, I don't understand how you could not have how how you could not have seen this as an influence. Do you, do it reminds um, me of um, you remember the Terry Gilliam film Brazil. Yeah, he claims he never read 1984 before he did that film. Yeah, it's a bit odd. It's a similar just, kind of thing. I, but I do think with this, some of the some of the quotes given, I think I don't know, and I don't know have anything to it. But this sounds a little bit like um, we 
we've gone so far with a project. We're not going to include John Semper Jr. Mm. We're not going to acknowledge or because you know once you acknowledge create you know a creative um, legacy, you oftentimes have to pay for that. Yeah. You'd have to pay some sort of royalty or tithe to John Semper or maybe to um, Fox, and you know, and now it's a, a Sony situation so who knows what the legalities would be involved um and whether there's some kind of mandate of if you're asked you have to say i hadn't really seen it not Mm. really isn't no not really (laughs) it was off my radar that means yeah i watched that as a kid i watched all those episodes and i loved it and then a few years later i kind of thought the idea would be good in this video game not really i like that it's like lawyer talk not really yeah, yeah, it's bizarre. Yeah. I just I just don't see how anyone can look at those plots side by side and not go, yeah, because, we need to because get money. that Ed Sheeran jury in here and get them to... <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember that happened with uh, Sam Smith where he, he, his, his, his song, Stay With Me, was basically the same as Tom Perry's Their song. On... Yeah. God. Yeah, it happens an awful lot. Yeah. Shame. Anyway... The Spider Wars was also the very first time the infamous Clone Saga had ever been adapted from the Marvel comics. The Spider Wars features depiction of Ben Riley, the Scarlet Spider, Miles Warren, and even Spider Carnage. Lastly, uh, Christopher Daniel Barnes, uh, aka Prince Eric from The Little Mermaid, played Spider-Man in all 65 episodes of the series, and in the Spider Wars episode, he plays six different versions of spider-man mark hamill plays the hobgoblins in these episodes and last of all stan lee's wife provides the voice of madame webb there's some nice moments there where when stan lee sees yeah. madame webb for the first time he goes who's that exotic lady <laughs> yeah. and then and then when they leave that reality madame webb says something like spider-man says he was a great guy and madame webb says i've always thought so so there's a couple of nice little lines that uh, are acknowledging what's going on there it's a nice little line but it edges towards like uh, overindulgence into stan lee which he's all for He's all for. Oh, oh, I've got some wonderful over exotic Stanley studies coming your way. Hooray! But first, let's head into the year 1998 and have a, have a feel around, a grope in the dark, if you will, <laughs> um, for what was going on in 1998. What was the full context of the world surrounding the release of these episodes of the animated series of Spider Man? Um, do you remember? I mean, how old were you in '98, Will? I was eleven. I was just uh, starting secondary school, if I remember right. Uh, oh, fun times! Uh, little did I know that so many different life-changing things would happen shortly after that. But hey, you know what doesn't kill you? Okay. <laughs> hey, shut up! Just don't don't uh, you got to pat me on the head. Time. Pat pat me on um, the head, boy. Okay. <laughs> I was fifteen years old, and I was. Um, I kind of, I think my, my, yeah, my social group was, I'd, I'd really sort of come into my own at 15. Good. And I kind of realized I had a big personality and I was funny and I was kind of like, uh, working out how to talk to girls and I, my social group was kind of moving a little bit. Um, but I have very strong memories of a whole group of us. Was it's been about 15? I'm not sure. It might have been the year before, mm. but I have strong memories of us all 
uh, playing lots of GoldenEye together, lots of Mario Kart together, <laughs> kind of finishing school and um, catching the bus into town and going to this place called Joysticks. I went to the comic book shop uh, to buy some comics, and then above that was Joysticks Video Game Place, Excellent. which would rent out time on video game systems, on video games, so you could all go together because no one's mom wanted, like, seven, eight lads around the house um, after school. Mm. But you could go to this place, and we could all pay 50p and half hour or whatever it was and you'd all get around and you like a bunch of us would be able to play Mario Kart and the other group would be able to play GoldenEye and we'd do GoldenEye tournaments and stuff yes. I just have very strong memories of that that might have been 14 to 15 I'm not 100% on that I think maybe by 15 we might have been edging towards um, loutish behaviour and uh, underage drinking and things but I can't quite remember I think around that um, time was a great time for video games you had like Metal Gear Solid Resident Evil 2 Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time there was so much good stuff happening then for video games in that short space of time um, in the wider world mm. um, something to do with Microsoft becoming the big I don't know, read that one uh, <laughs> Furbies I'm not reading that one Will Furbies are all the rage do you yes. remember Furbies Did you we, had a a Furby? Furby. we had a Yoda Furby we had a Yoda Furby it was the like original a original f- pop yeah. funko. Yeah, original <laughs> pop funko. Yes! Yeah, there were just there were different varieties of Furbies. There were like furry little yes. toys, but some I don't understand how, but they somehow became collectible. Yeah, and maybe because they were numbered or something. There was a limited number of some of them. But the thing is, though, they would have, they would talk. They would re- they'd have a solar thing. They'd actually talk to each other and do things. So there was some. Crazy some of them stuff. could. Yeah. yeah, not I don't think all of them could. God, Furbies. I didn't have one. I, I think I think my sister had one, um, but it just passed me. It wasn't something I was interested in the slightest. Um, mm. they, were, they looked like teddy bears that could talk, and that was of no interest to me. <laughs> I wanted action figures with pretend weapons. I wanted Resident <laughs> Evil 2. Okay. Um, Google was founded uh in 1998 how interesting hey mate um, we're using google docs to help us with this we are? how dare yeah. you yeah no it's yeah, yeah pay it back uh, pay it back the bill clinton monica Lewinsky affair is first um becomes big international news in yeah. 1998 do you remember this being on all the news and stuff as a kid it was it, looking back on it it's quite cruel very cruel but it was a pop culture phenomena endless yeah End, endless so i think she's come out on top now but it's one of those things where you look back on a thing and goes oh we shouldn't have made fun of her that was so cruel to do that but you know we didn't know better i struggle to think of the the day the the years when it happened because it seemed like it just that that woman became just a punchline for years yeah the event went the event is kind of like um the the enduring legacy of bill clinton um this affair with a uh an uh an unpaid intern um the good friday agreement was reached ah you know what i can place a strong memory then i can't place memory on that the good friday agreement was reached um, an hour after the talks deadline, the Belfast Agreement is signed between the Irish and British governments uh, and most Northern Ireland political parties, um, with the exception of the Democratic Unionist Party. A very, 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 very significant moment um, in in international politics, especially British and Irish politics. Funny, um, um, funny we say we I, look into that now because Sinn Féin have now got the biggest majority in in Ireland yeah, Parliament indeed, just the other yeah. week. And it's like, oh my god, it might happen. We might get Irish unification at some point. <laughs> I remember this happening. I was on a, a family holiday yeah. with my mum's mum and dad, which never had never happened before. Mm. Um, and I'm 
however old I am, and it was a lovely uh, place we went to. I can't remember where it was, but I just I have strong memories of there's being this really gorgeous kind of not posh but like you know sometimes posh now means like very barren and spare sparse um this was posh and like the sofa like the sofa was gorgeous and i just remember it being a gorgeous kind of living room Mm. um and i remember watching the news of the good friday agreement happening it must so it must have been that easter kind of weekend um and i also remember that's the same weekend that the I think the Doctor Who TV movie came out. Oh, um, that was with what's his face from With and I, wasn't it? It was indeed. Yeah, you won't like me saying that. Can't remember his name, <laughs> but I remember that. I remember watching some of that and not really being interested because I wasn't a big Doctor Who fan. Let me uh, just check if I got the right year. If I'm complete, oh no, I'm completely off. Yeah. That was 1996. I'm. It must. I'm, I must be merging two memories then. You're merging um, the timelines, Rob. Stop it. 1996 sw- and 1998 swear- are very similar. I find them similar. Yes, but I'm, I'm swear it happened that, that the Good mm. Friday Agreement I thought happened over the same weekend. Obviously not. Um, finally, Victoria Beckham uh, and David Beckham became engaged. Well, of course they did. Posh Spice and David Beckham became engaged. That was like I don't know. I don't remember there being any other kind of like celebrity power couples in my mind. Mm. For, that felt like it was the first one. British that, ones. Yeah. First proper. That British felt like one. it was the. Was the first one, and they're still um, together. That's crazy. They're still indeed, together. Indeed, indeed. Top yeah. singles of the year. Uh, Believe by Cher. I mean, that's a massive one, isn't it? <laughs> Is that the first auto tune thing you can like? The first uh, heavy auto tune. Not the first, that's probably the first heavy autotune thing. The, the, there was a famous... Actually, no, that isn't autotune. No, no, that is the famous, the, the, the first heavily autotune thing. Yeah. In fact, it, I think not only was it autotune, it's like, it, it, I think the autotune was part of the composition. It was purposefully autotuned to be like that, I think. Yeah, it was, it, that was part of the design yeah. of the song, wasn't it? Yeah, it wasn't, um, it wasn't to push, push her up or anything. It was definitely that. My Heart Will Go On by Ugh. Celine Dion. Of course, the, uh, the massive song from, um, from Titanic. I remember yeah. as a... Tortured emotional teenager, I would was it this that year fifty yeah I would listen to late night love affair on Signal One and they'd play just like songs about heartbreak and I'd be in my room really late night and I'd be in my room going ah oh girls ah and yeah. this was like this must have been played like on the hour every hour I um, I I it's one of those few songs that's like if it comes on I'm, I'm leaving the room I don't like this I, I can't do it I don't like it. Uh, the uh, Jason Nevins remix of Run DMC, <laughs> it's like that. And um, that's the way it is. I've <laughs> been listening to Run DMC for a little a little bit, and when and when this came out, yeah. it was almost like, ah, this is kind of get everyone like this is kind of always justifies that I like they're relevant again. I'm, yeah. I'm not just listening to old stuff. Um, no matter what, by Boyzone, <laughs> and of course the absolute banger <laughs> Sailor V by Bewitched. Um, I uh, there's a uh, tremendous um, wrestler that I uh, used to go and see. Uh, well, she's a great wrestler all over the world. She worked for WWE. Um, and uh, Nixon, Nixon, Nixon Newell was used to be her name. Mm. Um, and she used to come out to Say La Vie by Bewitched. <laughs> and so we'd be in this dirty old nightclub in Wolverhampton, um, just a whole bunch of dudes with facial hair and big yeah, bellies yeah, and yeah. black t-shirts, and out would come this little like pop princess character uh, and all of us would be going say la vie <laughs> singing all the words that so you will so you will because she was a massive baby face that was amazing. a great 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 time amazing. um 
In the world of television, the Seinfeld finale um, uh, aired uh, to 76.3 million people uh, end up watching it, and that is just in America. That's it's, it's mad because it's also the worst episode of Seinfeld. The finale is um, terrible. I don't think it's terrible at all, um, but I don't think it's. Uh, I don't think it's terrible. I think it's better than some of the first series episodes. Oh yeah, first season um, one is a bit. Sex in the City airs the very first episode. Mm. More importantly, Robot Wars debuts on BBC Two tonight on Robot Wars. <laughs> oh, what a what a what a what a cultural phenomena that was. I remember it took a while for the fights to actually get to the point where lots of cool stuff happened. <laughs> that took a couple of years, and I think I faded away from watching it going. Uh, it's not quite as fun. Mm. I wanted there to be lots of clanging and banging. Yeah. Um, and who wants to be me a millionaire? Made its debut on ITV, and I think we had the very first version of it, didn't we? I think it was copied from that point on around the world. I I um, always assumed that it was an American show first, but I had no, I I didn't know. I think, or maybe it's a European. Um, I think it's a European company anyway. Mm. Um. In the world of movies, Titanic is released at the very end of 1997. Um, and then in 1998, it becomes the first film to gross over a billion dollars at the box office. I'm on top um, of the world! <laughs> that was uh, James Cameron at the Oscars, wasn't it? Oh, God, a very embarrassing man. Um, <laughs> saving Private Ryan grossed $482 million worldwide, becoming the highest grossing World War II film. <laughs> what, what, a, what, what a movie. Um, okay. What, what, a movie. A, what a strange category. Um, I don't. I don't know. I'm not the biggest fan of it. It's That's fine. Well, you're not really a war film guy, are you? No, no. That's fair. But I, I wouldn't. I don't massively consider that a war film. Like this is weird. When I say I'm not a war film guy, I'm not. A, I'm not a glorifying and having fun with war guy. Ah, okay. Like a movie about how awful war is. I'm, you know, Apocalypse Now and those kind of movies. Full Metal Jacket. I can watch them. Movies where it's like, you know, where we're all having fun with war. I'm not very interested. But in. that wasn't Saving Private some- Ryan. That was. I didn't say that at all. I just said I didn't think it was terribly yeah. good. Uh, it was fine. It's not for me. Um, highest grossing films of uh, 1998. Armageddon. <laughs> I remember that one. Oh, Have boy. Stay awake just to watch you sleep Oh, man. Yeah, I, it like was Bruce one of those Willis films. and Ben Affleck saying I love you to each other as everything explodes or something. It, it was cool at the time that you go back and watch it and go, oh, God, this film's incredibly embarrassing. <laughs> Man, Seven Private Ryan is the second highest grossing movie of the year. And then Godzilla. What a disappointing oh, film. I, I was liked so it as a hyped kid. for that movie. I, liked I was it so as a hyped kid. for it. I thought it sucked. I know, but um, going back to it, it actually does suck. It's, uh, I think it was yeah. one of the first movies. I mean, again, there's like a. To be, you're 11 and I'm 15, so yeah, it's we're probably different. different at that time, yeah. you know. But I remember it being, I think, the first. I think it was the first time ever I had gone to see a blockbuster and gone. Oh, sometimes blockbusters are bad. <laughs> Funny, I had, like that had never happened to me before as a, as a kid or a teenager. I had that the previous year with uh, Jurassic Park: The Lost World. I just didn't like oh, it. I love that kid. film. But it coming great. back to it, there's some really great moments. But some, there was bits of it where I was like, "That's stupid." Uh, the fourth highest grossing movie where there's something about Mary, <laughs> uh, which was kind of that that legendary comedy film. I remember getting that on. I think it was one on video. Yeah. Um, I don't think I saw it at the cinema. Um, and then a Bug's Life rounding it all out. Number yeah. five. Um, superhero movies are few and far between in this era. We just have <laughs> Blade, um, which uh, became the top grossing film. Um, what the top grossing? Some of these things don't mean make any sense. It became the top grossing film based on a Marvel comics character. Did it? Did it? It beat Howard the Duck, which is the only other one. Good trivia point. 
<laughs> Shut up and read the script, Rob. Don't criticize I, the propaganda the line. The script is bad. It grossed $131 million worldwide at the time of Shut release. Shut up, Marlon Brando. Over in Marvel Comics, um, Spider-Man is framed for murder, Will. Yay! Which means Peter Parker can't leave the house as Spider-Man. <laughs> in- to investigate the conspiracy um, of who frames Spider-Man, Peter Parker invents five new or four new costumed identities. Yeah, four. Excellent, excellent. The Hornet and Prodigy hmm. are two superhero identities. Um, one of which is armoured and stuff like that. And then he also uh, invents two supervillain personalities, Dusk and Ricochet, where he infiltrates the criminal underworld as new villains. I was about to say, um, what did he have, have not many villains? So he had to sort of, you know, stand in and then... You know. <laughs> That uh, is a series called Identity Crisis. Um, a ton of long-running Marvel comic books are cancelled due to low sales and lack of money at Marvel. Ooh. Ghost Rider gets cancelled. The Silver Surfer gets cancelled. What If gets cancelled. There's a ton more. It was a bloodbath at Marvel. Um, they also launched the Marvel Knights imprint, um, which is putting kind of outsider writers and artists on classic Marvel characters. That's when we first get... People like Grant Morrison working for Marvel and um, Mark Miller and things. Uh, was it Mark Miller? Maybe, maybe not. Also for Grant um, Morrison, we, not so for Mark Miller. I'm a. Mm. Oh, we also got Kevin Smith making his <laughs> comic book writing debut. It's a very huge moment in comic books. Um, yeah. He launched a brand new Daredevil series. Reading it, um, going, why are there so many Star Wars references in this Daredevil comic? <laughs> he didn't quite write like that, but I. I'm kidding. Um, I'm kidding. Toy. Toy Biz in 1998 partially acquired... Basically, Toy Biz buys Marvel Comics. Yikes. Um, in the late 90s, Marvel files a bankruptcy, becomes the subject of a battle for control in bankruptcy court. It's salvaged in 1997, and then in 1998, bought might be a strong term. It kind of merges with Toy Biz. We get a brand new mm. company called Marvel Enterprises, of which Toy Biz becomes a division of that company. Wow. So 1998 is a wild and big year for Marvel Comics. Let's take a little look behind the page now at where we are in 1998 with some of this. Uh, well, not necessarily 1998, but as Mr. Hollywood alluded to in his production history notes, this is the first time that we get the Scarlet Spider mm. on the screen. This is a character who's going to be uh, appearing in the new Across the Spider-Verse um, movie. And so it's kind of an idea to dive into the history of Ben Riley, the Scarlet Spider, the clone of Spider-Man. We go back to the 1970s for this origin story. After um, <laughs> after Marvel have killed off both Gwen Stacy and the Green Goblin, they eventually realise um, th- th- we might have made a mistake here. Um, mm-hmm. These were pretty important characters for putting lots of stories together, especially Norman Osborn, the Green Goblin, the number one villain, the arch nemesis. Um, once they've kind of killed that character off, they scrabble around to try and find a new significant arch enemy for Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Um Gwen Stacy seemingly returns from the dead um, because they go, well, yeah, maybe it was a mistake. And also a new villain who is big and green and laughs a lot. Um, And it's not that dissimilar from the Green Goblin makes an appearance. Um, So the new villain is called the Jackal. 
Um, and this is revealed to be Peter Parker's college science professor, Miles Warren. And Gwen Stacy is revealed to be a clone. Um, so Professor Warren, despite being an old, horrible old man, was uh, very pervy and obsessed with um, Gwen Stacy, the teenager. Um, and so he, he captured mm. her DNA and cloned her. But that's not all. He also cloned his student, Peter Parker, as well. And when the Peter Parker clone emerged from the tubing and could stick to walls, he realized, <laughs> I have a feeling that my student Peter Parker is secretly Spider-Man. That's a great so, way of finding out someone's secret identity. I cloned them yeah. in a reverse engineering kind of way. Yeah, I, I mm. accidentally stumbled across this. Um, Professor Warren, by this point, is completely insane. Um, he starts wearing an like a, a, a green costume with a jackal head mask, calling himself the jackal, getting involved in kind of underworld gangs and crime and things. And he basically takes the clone of Peter Parker and sets it up so that the clone thinks he is the real Peter Parker. Mm. And then attacks Spider-Man, thinking Spider-Man is the clone. They have a big climactic fight. Um, uh, the uh, Jerry Conway wrote this at the time, and he the idea came to him. Stanley used to write all these um, wonderfully melodramatic Shakespearean <laughs> titles, um, like uh, uh, <laughs> like is this is this Doctor Octopus I see before me, and things like that. And he said <laughs> I wanted to write a, a, a story, Spider Man story, mm. um, that was that, that was called um, "If I Kill Myself, Will I Die." <laughs> <laughs> And so that was kind of the genesis for it. He wanted oh this Spider-Man. I mean, what could be more? We talk about Spider-Man being the the character of existential crisis. Yeah. And existential thinking and problems. What could be more existential than fighting yourself and trying to work out who is real? Why am I real? Mm. Am I only real because I think I'm real? What is real? What makes a person a person? What is a human mind? This is wonderful, wonderful stuff in the background of a big fight between two Spider-Men. Um, and we get that classic kind of uh, shoot us both, Spock. That kind of which one of us is real <laughs> moment, right? The one with the beard. The one with the beard. Um, <laughs> so in that moment, the reader doesn't know which one of the two Spider-Men is real and which one is the clone. Hmm. And that's a key moment. A bomb then goes off kills the jackal and one of the spider-men the only living spider-man has to clean things up and convinces himself and by doing so the audience reading that he must be the real spider-man the real peter parker because he loves mary jane which is something that didn't happen until after the cloning process had begun after the death of gwen stacy right so he goes, that is like a, a memory and a feeling that Peter Parker didn't have until after Gwen Stacy died and after the clothes were born. So that must mean I am the real Spider-Man. Mm. And that is enough to convince him and thus the audience. And so what he does then is he um, takes the, uh, the, the clone body of himself and dumps it down a giant smokestack chimney in a factory. Wow. So gotta, he has to hide this evidence because it would be impossible to explain. Yeah. Even if he took the costume off, Peter Parker's dead. Yeah. 
So that, yeah, off he goes. Fast forward to 1994. There is a problem with Spider-Man. Right. Uh, Marvel is publishing uh, four monthly Spider-Man comics in the mid-90s. The Amazing Spider-Man, The Spectacular Spider-Man, Web of Spider-Man, one titled Simply Spider-Man. Before long, they'll introduce Peter Parker Spider-Man. They all have different monthly stories happening to the same character, and they will occasionally cross-pollinate. And we've talked about stories which are just like a Spider-Man crossover. Mm. These are about to become more and more important and demanded by the higher-ups in Marvel because what they want is for the kid that usually only buys Amazing Spider-Man they want to force that child to buy all of the Spider-Man comics to f- complete a story he's got part two of. Yeah. But the problem is that um, Spider-Man is in a rut and readership is down, especially compared to huge event-based storylines at DC Comics like the death of Superman and Batman Nightfall where Batman is replaced by a younger kind of uh, superhero. Mm. The editors at Marvel decide the problem with Spider-Man is that Spider-Man doesn't feel like Spider-Man anymore, like he did in the 70s. Um, Peter Parker married Mary Jane in the 80s, Mm. settled down, um, you know, became an adult, has to get a job to buy them, pay the mortgage and support his wife and stuff. Like, that isn't really the classic free swinging spidey that we all know and love you know going from one disaster to the next he comes home every night to a loving wife who fyi is a supermodel (laughs) slash slash actress yeah he has the villain of the month to fight but all that soap opera stuff of um trying to date a new girl but spider-man's life gets in the way oh no it's gone wrong in another couple of months it'll be another girl um and and kind of his supporting cast had changed married men don't have friends we all know this (laughs) so like kids were now reading these stories of a married man and his wife it just wasn't not as uh, appealing and the same as you know a guy you could with spider-man when you're a kid you're you're reading about a big brother figure and you're like, I wish I'm going to be like him in a couple of years. And then as you're a bit older, you're like, man, that feels relatable. Like I can relate to an awful lot of this stuff. I wish I was like him. Um, But now it's like, this guy's like my dad. (laughs) Um, (laughs) If my dad every night went out and was Spider-Man. So the the problem with this situation, the Mary Jane problem, the Mm. problem with Spider-Man, that Marvel has played Marvel for a long, long time is that the solutions to this problem were even worse than the current situation. So how do you get out of this married life situation? Well, you can kill Mary Jane off and make Spider-Man a widower and have have grief and all that kind of stuff, or you have him become a divorced man. And Marvel hated the idea of, of their hero, Spider-Man, breaking his marriage vows. They just did not think either of those solutions was good. Yeah. So they're in a sticky situation, Will. Very. Huh? Huh? Webbing? Sticky? Oh, Webbing? damn it. Huh? I, oh, that one flew over me. I'm sorry. Right like Spider-Man. <laughs> sorry. Well, he doesn't fly. But writer yeah. Terry Kavanagh then pitches an idea to basically reset Spider-Man. Okay. If this were DC Comics, they would have done a big 
crisis event that alters and resets the universe and just sort of wiped out the continuity they didn't like. Um, because that's what DC do. Marvel at the time never did that. They always found in canon storyline explanations that alter things. And Kavanagh's pitch was a wild one, but it kind of worked. And it was this. The pitch is the Spider-Man that's got our problems the spider-man that married mary jane and settled down and is now a married man in a rut that's not the real spider-man that is professor warren's clone of spider-man he's not evil not a bad guy not mind controlled he just went away from that fight however many years ago fully believing he's the true peter parker and then spent the last few years living the life of a hero but you can push him to the side by saying, well, here comes the real Peter Parker. There was a mix-up, a mistake, a mix-up at the uh, hospital with the babies. The real Peter Parker can then return to action. A single man with a younger mindset, no marriage, tied much more closely to the classic relatable Spider-Man character of the 70s, the glory era. He isn't married. He can date and be single and doesn't have the baggage and he can get into one soap opera drama after the other. But also no one has to die. He doesn't have to become a, no one has to become a widower or get divorced. We can just jettison Mary Jane and married the married guy can go with her. Um and that would get them out of the picture. And it would mm. without when I say it, it would de-age Spider-Man. And yeah. I just mean that in terms of personality, not in terms of actual age, but it would de-age the character, particularly in the minds of the readers. It's quite an artful solution. Yeah. It's 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 a nice because this always happens when you get point where you get to escalation and continuing these character stories. You go, oh, how do we get out of this hole? And they always find mm. a way to do it in a in a way that kind of works within the you know parameters of a Marvel story. But yeah, always ridiculous. But instead, but instead of this neat, tight little reset story, Kavanagh's pitch would become transformed into. A crossover event, a bloated, <laughs> convoluted story that lasted a full two years Ooh. in the comics. Marvel had been bought by Ron Perlman uh, from the Sons of Anarchy in 1989. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a long running joke. Yeah. The guy's name is Ron Perlman, yeah. but it's not he. Not that one. It's not Hellboy. Yeah. Um, and he bought it when it was. Um, he, he just he put it when it was really making money, and he's upset that now there's been a, a, a crash in the market. But he set about immediately trying to maximize the return on his investment. And how does a business maximize profits? Cut, 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 cut expenses, mm. make the product cheaper, and make as much of the product as you can and flood the market, right, generally. So prices of some Marvel comics are slashed, uh, but the mandate is to make more and more comics um, constantly grab as much of the marketplace as possible squeeze dc comics off the shelves by just you know what that kid likes spider-man and batman he's got it now got to buy 10 spider-man comics a month sounds like he hasn't got enough money for batman we win <laughs> <laughs> war of attrition isn't it it's a war of attrition and the quality of marvel's of these marvel comics plummeted um, as every creative at Marvel was overworked, making more and more titles, 
And a lot of good writers, great writers maybe, were deemed too expensive to use under the new cost-cutting regime. Um, Marvel comic fans... Well, sorry, comic fans in general, mm. um, according to surveys, are better educated and more brand loyal and more sensitive to quality than the typical consumer of something else. Mm. But this is not toothpaste. You can't go, you can't go, uh, Marvel toothpaste is cheaper than Colgate. Everyone's going to switch and buy it. That's mm. not how it works in comics. If you buy Spider Man, you're not going to switch to Batman because Batman is cheaper. That's never how it works. But if the quality of the Spider-Man comics go down, you probably will stop buying them and go find something else. Mm. And that's what a business person doesn't really understand about a creative industry like comic books. And so in this kind of Ron Perlman profit-or-die atmosphere, jobs no jobs were safe you know creators were getting pushed out being too expensive or they're being worked to death you you enjoy doing two comics a month cool you now get to do six um and the marketing the marketing department at marvel comics now had veto and final say over creative decisions their directive is to stretch out the clone saga to maximize sales. Because it, when it happened, it was shocking, it was hot, and everyone was talking about it. So the marketing department go, great, keep this going. Not resolve it in a, in a couple of, in a few issues and <laughs> deliver on the story. No, keep it going. Mm. And and they're ma- they want to maximize shock endings because the first one worked. When, when you see two Peter Parkers face-to-face, you go, what the hell's happening? I've got to read the next one. And they're like... Okay, great. Just to let you know, every issue has to end with something like this. No, no, no. No, no. That's really, really hard and impossible to know how stories work. Cool. We're the marketing department and we're in charge. Every issue has to end with a shock ending. All I can see now is just like the end of Spider-Man. You read it and in your head it just goes... Well, Spider-Man does end with cliffhangers all the time. That's fine. But the cliffhanger is usually a villain looks like they're about to defeat Spider-Man. It's not, there's two Peter Parkers. Or, (laughs) Aunt May's dead. How are we going to resolve this? We don't know. We were just told we had to kill someone. Um, (laughs) Genuinely, what happened? They were told you've got to kill someone off. One of the major characters has got to be killed off. Amazing. And around this time, um, Marvel had tried to pitch Spider-Man as a dark and gritty, violent character because that was the model of popular comics at the time. Um, Pete was edging towards this kind of violent, schizophrenic superhero. Mm. Well, even anti-hero, really. Um, They were trying to make Spider-Man an anti-hero, like Wolverine and the Punisher. Um, And he almost had this kind of split personality between there's Peter Parker and then there's the spider it was awful, terrible stuff. Aunt May um, gets very, very sick in the hospital on her deathbed. Um, and this brings back a second Peter Parker, who is very concerned for the health of his aunt and reveals himself to be the clone. Um, he had, it is revealed in the story, survived the fight with the jackal, survived being dumped down a chimney, and spent the last few years knowing he's a clone avoiding spider-man avoiding new york and all his friends and family traveling across america anonymously on the run a drifter who takes the name ben riley ben after his beloved uncle and riley after aunt may's maiden name um 
And he returns to New York just because Aunt May's health is bad. Has a few confrontations with uh, Peter Parker, who is on the edge and, and it all looks very dodgy. Then gets into a uh, couple of situations and has to stop a rampaging um, Venom. So he grabs a he has a he has a red bodysuit, like skin tight lycra. Mm. He grabs a blue spider hoodie that he buys at a museum, showing a display of like arachnids. Mm. Puts the blue hoodie on over the um, the red bodysuit. Has some improvised web shooters he's built over the years that dangle around his wrist. Beats Venom and is dubbed the Scarlet Spider by the Daily Bugle. Ooh, okay. Um, and the, the the blue hoodie design that we see in this in this issue um, is so striking, so eye catching, and so nineties. I remember a lot of older fans, um, people that run the comic book shop that I went to at the time. They hated this. There was an awful lot of letters into Wizard magazine about how much people hated this design. But as a fourteen year old, I thought it was the shizzle. I thought it was so. <laughs> Cool. It was Spider Man, but it wasn't. It was slightly altered and different. Um, it wasn't just, it, and it was vastly different to like the black and white costume design of the eighties and the Venom design. It, it was just really cool. Love the design to this day, and I think it's it actually is held up now as because the fourteen year olds are now the thirty forty year olds, and we all go, <laughs> yeah, that was cool. The Scarlet Spider's story would continue uh, in the mid-90s, where he would eventually be revealed, Will, as the real Peter Parker. And he would take over as the one and only Spider-Man. One thing you can't clone is the uh, <laughs> admiration and love that all our listeners have for us here at Marvel vs. Marvel. Um, they like to drop us a line. They do that by emailing uh, Marvel vs. Marvel at gmail.com. Some of them send us little messages and tweets and DMs on Twitter, which is at Marvel vs. Um, in fact, I got a uh, we got a DM uh, from King Canuck, first of his name, literally, I think, last night. Do you remember we talked yes. about uh, the Orb character? Yes, I remember the Orb. With the big eye on the head? Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Was he the hypnotising he, one? I No, uh, he was not. Else. We It was an obscure Marvel character we yeah, did. Yeah. He tracked down and found in a comic book shop um, an action figure uh, or a model of the Orb. No. And we just had a, a great... I was like, can you believe anyone would spend money on this? Um <laughs> But what's in the mailbag, Will? We've got quite a few here. Uh, Danny Eleven, that uh, Danny Eleven M said, or One One M said, I think these Spider Wars episodes were my first introduction to the concept of a multiverse, and I wanted to know the backstory of them all. Also, immediately went out and bought the toy of the armored Spidey, so it did its job well. Did they know it was going to be the final episode when it was being made? On one hand, Pete meeting Stan Lee felt like a heartfelt ending, and we really see how important Uncle Ben is. But even as a kid, I was just confused about the major plot lines left unresolved, like MJ is just gone, I guess. The spider carnage design is still so cool, and a corrupted version of Peter mixed with his scariest villain obviously hooked me. On a related note, would be fascinated to hear you guys explore Unlimited sometime. High evolutionary plus a spidey variant who will be popping up in the new film. Ah, oh, I mean, thank you, Danny11M, but... 
man, that Unlimited Spider-Man series is insane. Um, I'm going to pitch it to you, Will, right now. Right, do it. It's meant to be a direct sequel to this Spider-Man the Animated Series. Oh, okay. But in the first episode, Spider-Man chases, I think, Carnage and Venom on a spaceship, goes to a different world, Counter-Earth, meets <laughs> animal evolved into people, the Animen, uh, and the high evolutionary rules everything, and Pete joins like the human resistance, yeah. basically stops being Spider-Man and becomes just a weird sci-fi animated series. I was going to say Guardians of the Galaxy. Not no, not Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, they used the High Evolutionary in the new movie, obviously. Yeah. Um, but it's not Guardians of the Galaxy. It's just it's so odd. It reminded me of stuff like Phantom Twenty Forty and a little bit of Batman Beyond. Mm. Like it just had left all the Spider Man stuff behind. Maybe we'll look at it. Uh, I mean, to be fair, as we've said many times, we will eventually take a look at everything to do with Marvel. Every Marvel project we will cover at some point. At some point. Um, Next, we have a musing moose said the most prominent memory i have seeing these episodes on youtube is how strange it was that spider carnage looks like he has a thick bushy black beard yes they give him a strange mouth yeah i don't get it i don't um, i can't think yeah, of it they I don't go with the my head. they don't go with the jagged more of the actual carnage for some yeah. reason uh, next up we have giuseppe gibb who said this series actually lost me when they started introducing all this sci-fi stuff there was that sort of spider The Spider-Man story lost you when it introduced sci-fi <laughs> stuff, Giuseppe. Is that what happened? I just want a down-to-earth normal story of a man bitten by a radioactive spider who builds web shooters fighting uh, a, and a giant electric man and a guy with mechanical arms. I don't need all this sci-fi nonsense, said Giuseppe. There was that sort of spider woman that they gave him kind of orders and tips. I don't remember too well, but they lost me. To me, the best thing about this cartoon was how relatable Parker was and how the stories were mixed in with the reality of a normal person. They messed it all up. He ends on a good point. Uh, Giuseppe, yeah, yeah there's, a lot of, there's yeah. a lot of people who, in the comic book world, struggle when... And, and, and they think there should be a rule of Spider-Man shouldn't like leave Earth or Spider-Man doesn't work outside of like manhattan or mm. something i don't uh, we've seen countless times that doesn't that's not true he does work in these scenarios with a good writer and stuff but i can understand people want a more grounded spider-man um so mm. i can get that um but sometimes i think this animated series knew because it did know it was coming to the end and they you know needed to do uh something very 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 big and the, i think the secret wars was a lot of fun they did oh yeah yeah melissa lauren said I remember laughing at this cartoon when he saw the blonde-haired version of himself and said something like, I don't think I want to hear your story. <laughs> I hadn't read any Spidey comics at that point in my life and didn't catch that that was Scarlet Spider. But then his story turned out to be pivotal in the episode. And I loved when Spider-Man got to visit the world that was supposed to be ours and see how much everyone here loved him. I wasn't entirely satisfied with the ending because at that point I missed Mary Jane so much I wanted her to be in it, not just mentioned that they were going to find her. At least they do did go off to find her, though. It was a great series. I haven't watched it since it aired in the 90s, and I really should go back and watch it again. Yeah, uh, thank you, Melissa. It's, it's amazing how many people... <clears throat> it's almost like got that quantum leap ending. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Although it's, 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 it's more hopeful than quantum leap, because quantum leap one goes, no. He never he doesn't get a nice life. He, Goodbye. He, he goes from place to place, never goes home. That's it. 
That's it. What did you want from us? Huh? You Go got closure away. like we've, a madman? We finished telling our stories and his life is bad now. Good day to you. <laughs> who else we got, Will? We got a final one here from Sam, who wrote in to say, Hey guys, loved the episodes recently, and War of Kings could be my new fave. Uh, that's making reference to uh, our latest full-length bonus episode on Patreon. Get on Patreon, guys. Get on Patreon. So London Marathon was just over a month ago now, and I got around the course in just over two and a half episodes, or four hours, 40 minutes. That's how we should be measuring time now, Sam. Yes, I agree. I agree. Um, I'll be with you. Oh, um, I'm, I'm not. I'm pretty, I'm pretty close. I'll be with you in one episode of Obscure Marvel. I'll see you soon. <laughs> Thank you for keeping me company while I was running. I'm so happy you're going back to the 90s Spider-Man cartoon. The pacing of the storytelling is brilliant. As a kid, this was the greatest program I'd ever seen. It's still up there. And the ep- these episodes are the ones leading up to it blew my little mind. More than one Spider-Man fighting together was just so much fun to see. And until recent movies, I never thought I'd see it again. The Mary Jane who married Peter that turns out to be a clone was a curveball I did not see coming. But now knowing from listening to the pod that to be Spider-Man is to suffer puts it all into context. <laughs> to be Spider-Man is to suffer. Well put, Sam. Yes. Wow, they should. That's just, just tremendous. I must admit, Madame Webb unnerved me slightly when I was younger. I didn't really understand what she was. I think it was the tail rather than the legs that creeped me out. It was great seeing the whole long season-long arc culminating in this epic two-parter. Using Uncle Ben to get through to Peter inside Spider-Carnage really tugged at the heartstrings. It also has maybe my favourite Stan Lee cameo. All this being said, the cliffhanger that ends on and no further episodes is so unsatisfying and such a shame the series was cancelled. Thank you ever so much, Sam, for getting in touch. Yeah, I don't, I don't, yeah. I mean, I'm not, I, I guess I don't really view that as a cliffhanger. Hmm. To me, that's not a cliffhanger. That's that's what this is. What these characters are going to go on to do? Yeah. Like Friends ends with a lot of unresolved stuff, and they say we're going to go off and start a new life here, and we're going to go off and do that. It's not a cliffhanger. They're just telling you what the rest of their lives are going to be like. Yeah. Um. But I see. I understand. You. Everyone wants Mary Jane. I don't have. A, I don't have any good reasoning for why they don't bring her back. I mean, I can only assume. Did you find anything out about the cancellation? Like, was there anything about how, oh, perhaps they thought that we're going to do it in another series or something? I, from what I remember, from what I've read, read randomly, I think I think it was always planned like that. Mm. Towards, especially towards the end, I think they they just like these cartoons only have a limited run. They knew they weren't going to get another series, so they went, okay, we'll just end it like that then. Because we've escalated I wonder why not so just much. reunite them at the end and. Mm. Perhaps they didn't. Perhaps they. Perhaps that kind of is weird. Perhaps it's weird to say to kids, you know. Perhaps it damages f- the next, the next animated Spider-Man cartoon if you say, and Spider-Man settled down and everything <laughs> was fine, and that's the end. The end of Spider-Man now, kids. Bye. Maybe when the next inheritor comes along to pick up the mantle, maybe people feel that's done a bit of damage to the minds of the audience. To go, I don't want to watch another one because I just saw it end the Spider-Man story. You know? Mm, yeah, I get that. Uh, that's not the last uh, little message we've got, though. We have a message come in via Patreon from, I believe I'm going to pronounce this, Zwix. X-W-I-X. Yeah, I'm going to say Zwix. Uh, and Zwix reached out to apologize. I started listening to the podcast 
uh, the start of this year, and I love it. I work long hours all alone, and this podcast has saved me from insanity. Excellent. I am fully on board with your plan to remaster all your old episodes, all your old Phase 1 episodes. I've listened to the Iron Man remastered episode three times already. Your episode on Spawn was eye-opening, and I must have listened to that three times at work as well. And then I was listening to the Incredible Hulk remastered for the second time, and I realised, if I'm listening to these episodes again and again, it's really time for me to do the right thing. You know it makes sense, Wix. So this (laughs) month, I've signed up to Patreon. I've made myself a VIEP. I'm making my way through all the bonus episodes. And I've watched your live show videos on my lunch break at work yesterday. Um, Sorry for not signing up sooner, as you should be. Please don't ever (laughs) stop making this show. Thank you, uh, X-Wix or Zwix. Thank you so much um, for dropping us a line like that. We really appreciate it. Um, You're right to apologize. You know, we're not necessarily saying thank you for joining. You know, you should have joined up when you started, Zwix. You know that. Um, so, yeah, we're pleased you've done the right thing for you, aren't we, Will? Oh, that it's the very, right thing for the pleased. individual. Um, they're essentially just paying off a debt. Um, <laughs> please don't ever stop making this show. Well, that relies on the support of all you wonderful people out there. Um, the biggest supporters of this podcast, uh, the world class wrecking crew, Peter J. Brandon Schmigilski, Randall Schmidt, Zach Thomas, Bastabier, Sam, Bindi, Supi, Jack Davis, Billy Brown, Zubair Q. Um, those are the heavy hitters and the big swingers at patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. They dig the deepest, they give the most support, they keep the show on the air. Um, and Patreon is where you're going to find all our bonus content, bonus episodes that we give back as a th- as a you know you should be giving us this money for nothing quite frankly but we like to give back the people that support us we support with awesome bonus content um including monthly full length deep dives into uh, amazing marvel stories and events this year alone we've made uh, amazing deep dives on maximum carnage the kang dynasty do you remember that one Oh. Yeah, I remember the Kang Dynasty. What um, makes me... It's made me look forward to the upcoming film even more. Wakanda Doom War, that battle between Doctor Doom and Black Panther. <laughs> we took a look at the time Marvel and DC merged universes with Amalgam Comics. Um, yeah. And in May, we took a, a look at one of the biggest cosmic stories, um, Guardians of the Galaxy X-Men story, War of Kings. Now, Will, mm. I'd love to get your takeaway and your thoughts... Um, without spoiling too much, because there's a big mystery, not a big mystery, there's a big reveal in that, on War of Kings and, and how that all played out. Oh, absolutely mad, that one. That was a huge event, really enjoyed it. So many people coming together in this huge storyline, picking up from uh, from the Dark Phoenix. Uh, yeah, that's true, yeah. It just yeah. kind of, it really does pick up a lot of those plot threads, doesn't it, from... Mm. Like, the maybe the best Marvel story of all time, Dark Phoenix. <laughs> um, this month... As we've got across the Spider-Verse, out in cinemas, I thought it was a time to um, spin a tale to old Willie P. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've already covered the original Spider-Verse comic book event here on Patreon. Well, not here, but on Patreon. This month, we're going to take a look at the Spider-Verse sequel. 
The inheritors are back. That equals death for spider people across the multiverse. This time, it's going to be Spider-Geddon. Um, and we see the uh, all the different spiders from all the different multiverses come together to fight off the Inheritors one more time. Um, that's our deep dive in June. There's tons and tons of ways you can support us um, over on Patreon. And in exchange, you get access to all these amazing rewards. Um, as well as full-length bonus shows, you can get access early access to every single one of these episodes. You can get these on a Friday, spend all weekend with us, not have to wait until Monday. You can also get fun mini shows each and every month, um, and uh, that'll just cost you the price of a coffee. You can start supporting this podcast for just like three Brexit pounds a month. That is less than a than a, than a drink um, per month shared between me and Will. Um, I get first sip. Um, that's the way you can just start supporting us. Just start showing your love. Just start saying, "Hey, man, I had hours and hours and hours of pleasure." And entertainment listening to you guys this month. Have a coffee. Have a drink. Here's something. Here's me giving back something, right? That's what you can do. Support the show. Um, and each and every month we release Obscure Marvel, which is our mini show where I take Will on a trip through the um, the dumpsters of the Marvel Universe to find the most ridiculous and obscure moments and characters Um in June, Will, we looked at The Beatle. <laughs> <laughs> How did you find that little exploration of that winged devil? Oh, God, what what a tremendous loser. Hot soup! <laughs> Hot soup in the face! Hot soup in the face so I can get... Oh, God. No. Oh, man. No. Each and every month, Obscure Marvel lands uh, for everyone on Patreon. Um, everyone who supports us gets that. Um, and then, of course, you can go up and get your early access. You can go up and get your uh, full-length deep dive episodes. Um, there's exclusive video content for the top-tier players and the world-class wrecking crew. Um, put together our uh, our kind of thoughts and video episode all about... Um, Guardians of Galaxy 3 quite recently. Um, that's available for those. There are over 70 bonus episodes available right now. There are 36 um, full-length deep dive episodes. There'll be 37 uh, before the end of this month. Um, plus early access, plus um, access to over 30 mini-shows. It's patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. This podcast relies on you guys supporting us, so make sure you do the right thing on patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. On the other side of this break, it is the patented MVM deep dive into Spider Wars. (laughs) 